you can see there on the screen, if you're here live with us and me, and if you're uh, streaming or in, in uh, online with us uh, in another place today, we welcome you and are glad you're here as well. But you can see the title of this morning's message is Ministry is Only for Saints. That's a little bit of a play on words that will hopefully become uh, more clear and uh, make a little more sense as we go on. And it's taken from, uh, the scripture reading this morning is taken from two passages that talk about ministry, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. That will be our scripture reading. But just want to let you know, again, that is not a text that I'm exegeting per se, but pointing to uh, the main focus of how we are called to ministry as God's saints. And uh, so let's now turn our focus to the reading and the hearing of God's inspired word as it comes to us from 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7, and Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask God's blessing upon it. Father, we thank you for your word and for its testimony to your power to equip your people, your saints. But Father, again, without that, we will not look like anything close that might resemble a faithful follower of yours. And so, Father, we ask that once again the Holy Spirit will be given to us now to comprehend and understand and apply this, your holy word. Father, that we might learn to be and grow to be more and more mature and growing in Christ Jesus. That we might live and follow as faithful followers of him, saints of God. And we pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Year after year, in the world of sports, championships are won not by players, but by teams. Now, of course, I, I'm assuming we're talking about team sports, okay? <laughs> of course, if you win in tennis, uh, singles in tennis, it's just you. But we're talking about in team sports, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, hockey, whatever it is, soccer, it doesn't matter. Usually you hear, you recognize if there has been a championship or a win, there is a team that is involved. It involves many different players and components. The interviews after championship games frequently are are filled with, well, you know, it was, I did this because of my, my teammates. Or if, I had, if my teammates hadn't done so-and-so, there's no way I would have made that play. I give all the credit to my, and sometimes the credit's to their, their play, uh, pl- uh, fellow players. Sometimes it's to the coach. Sometimes it's to the, even the owner. Uh, that, uh, making that possible for them to have success in that sport. Rarely do you ever find someone saying, you know what? You're right. I was really good out there today. I was fantastic. I hope you all recognize that. No, <laughs> maybe there's sometimes that happens, but generally speaking, it's, there's a recognition of the team. Functioning as a team, folks, doesn't, though, come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. It takes a great deal more than to create a genuine team effort than just to gather a group. I don't know about you, but I'm presently rather concerned uh, with about my favorite team in the world of football. They don't seem to be right now. At times, they seem to be okay, looking pretty good. And other times, they look like they're not a team. There's just not good chemistry. They're not, pl- they're not on the same page. They look confused. They don't know who's supposed to be. You see, when you're not a team, a cohesive team, it's going to detract from your accomplishments. It's going to hurt you. <laughs> and I'm afraid when we get a hold of the Bulldogs or when they get a hold of us, if we get that far, uh, and that's an if right there. But if we do, I'm not so sure it's going to go well for, for my uh, Crimson Tide. So, uh, and I'm sure a lot of you would rejoice in that. But that's not, the, that's not the point. The point is, it is hard to be a team. And a lot of times when you, you have teams of great talent, 
but they don't succeed. They don't accomplish the goal because they're not playing as a team. Well, I think Paul is going to tell us and did on this passage, these passages that we read about the importance of teamwork, of team ministry. And that's what we're talking about here today. Um, you see, and, and when it comes to a lot of other um, things, when it comes to maybe uh, athletic institutions or, or corporate things or institutional settings, uh, you can get some motivation <laughs> through those things because you've got things like leverage called money <laughs> or you have, uh, do you like your job? Uh, those things are called leverage. But you see, in the, in the church of God, in ministry of the saints, we don't have those, that kind of leverage. The team has to be self-motivated. It has to want to accomplish the goals that are set for the team. You see, on God's team, the church, it doesn't begin with molding players into a team, though. I've been talking about the importance of that. But that's not where the beginning point is. It's not the starting point for God's people. The first job is to convince the players that they are indeed on a team and that they have a job to do. Do you realize that? A lot of churches, people are out there sitting in the pews, warming the, the, the bench, or enjoying the uh, event from afar, occasionally clapping, sometimes booing. But they're, they're not really engaged. They're not part. They don't see that there is a responsibility for them to be also playing on the team. And so that is part of why what the Apostle Paul is doing in our passages that I read this morning from 1 Corinthians 12 and from Ephesians 4. He's trying to say, hey, ministry is for the saints. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have been washed in his blood and redeemed by him and justified by him, you are automatically on the team. You have a responsibility, a team responsibility. All of us who believe in Christ are saints. That's what Rick you know, pointed out this morning. You know, when we look what was on the screen, we all are saints on what basis? On the accomplishment and righteousness of Christ. We are saints, we are holy in the beloved. And that means also that we are all, therefore, called, all saints are called to ministry. Not just clerics, not just pastors. Listen again to what Paul says in chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Part of the reading, but listen again. He who, talking about this is referring, Paul is referring to Jesus, the he. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Then verse 11, and he gave, the ascended Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to do everything. Right? No, to equip the saints, all of the body of Christ, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So if you're a child of God, 
If you are a Christian, a true believer in Christ as your Savior, you don't have a choice. You are involved in ministry. The only question is, how so and is it effective? You don't have an option to sit back and watch the show. We all need to find ways to engage in ministry. So, today's points are two, one and two. First of all, why is this true? First of all, because the message of universal priesthood. The message of universal priesthood that is taught in this pas- these passages and others in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. The Bible uses many different images to describe the church. You know some of them. Uh, the body of Christ is, is, is one of the most common. Uh, the elect, uh, the household of God, all of those and, and other images or, or metaphors that are used to describe the church. But one of the most meaningful expressions in the Bible is simply the people of God. The people of God. The sheep of his pasture, the flock of God, but the people of God. And when we speak of the laity, when you hear that word laity, when we speak of that, we're simply talking about folks, about people. People that are to be involved in ministry. When we speak of the laity, the people who together, along with Christ and along with the prophets and the apostles and those that he gave as teachers and so forth, all that comprises that the people. But beyond that, it is the body of Christ comprised, comprises the church. So you have, yes, pastors, and you have prophets and apostles and all of those things, but you also have the body, the people of God. The church then is people. Rome once declared, the church of Rome once declared, where the bishop is, there the church is. The Reformation said, "Uh uh-uh, nope, you didn't get it right. The Reformation declared where the people of God is, there is the church, the church under the lordship of Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The church is where the people of God is. It's not the, those in higher authority. That's where the church is. No, it is comprised by the whole people of God. The church is not a building. It's not the clergy. It's not an abstract institution. It is the people of God. And that's what Martin Luther was getting at when he talked about the notion in the time of the Reformation of the priesthood of all believers. Now, what does that mean? Martin Luther, when he said and and spoke about the, the priesthood of all believers, he was not downplaying the importance of clergy, of having pastors and teachers and apostles. He wasn't downplaying that. But he was saying that alone can't get the job done. You need the whole body of Christ, all the people of God, engaging in ministry. What he was getting at is that the priestly ministry of Christ is passed on in some measure, 
Now, this it's a qualified. It's not exact, but in some measure, the priestly ministry of Christ has been now given in a small sense to you and me, all of us, not special ones of us, not those that are ordained only. No, to all of God's people, there is an opportunity to minister in the name of Christ to other people. We carry a small aspect of that. We are called to represent Christ to each other and in the world. We're supposed to, we're called to represent Christ to each other, to all of us here, and you to me and me to you, and to others around the world. That's what we call missions. That's what we call missions. You see, in this sense, every believer, every saint is called to minister. We're not all pastors, but we are all ministers. You've seen those signs probably on uh, sometimes churches put them up on the real boards if they have a billboard that advertises. and you, you Or maybe you see it on the bulletin or something, and it'll say something uh, kind of like, a little bit overly simplistic, but it'll basically say... Um, you know, um, something like uh, pastors, uh, you know, so-and-so. And then it, then, it, then it says ministers under that, and it says all. Just the word all, A-L-L. In other words, the ministers are really all of the people of God, ministering to one another and to others. That's what Paul is getting across and trying to get it. To be included in the laity is to be included in ministry, not to be an armchair quarterback. To be sitting back and watching the show unfold and see how well the others are doing. Now, the second reason why we're called to do ministry is because of universal giftedness. First is the priesthood of all believers, that we all have a stake in this and we're part and to be ministering. The second here aspect that's in these, this brought out by the truths in this passage, these passages, is universal giftedness. According to Paul, we have at least one spiritual gift. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate and the discussion about spiritual gifts. I know probably some of you have taken a spiritual gift survey in the past uh, and that kind of stuff, and I'm not really so concerned about that. I'm not even sure that that's really exactly, we don't see Paul giving us a test. We don't see, he's just acknowledging that this is a reality. We have spiritual gifts. Now, this is a, this is a decent definition. I'm not saying it's, it's perfect, but a spiritual gift is a supernatural capacity for service to God not necessarily an ability. You may be able and have an ability, but that's not, that's not necessarily a spiritual gift at all. A spiritual gift is something that you've been blessed with God and you're able to use in edification, in building up others in ministry. Some kind of ministry that helps you build in the body of Christ. Do you remember that last part of verse uh, of Ephesians 4, 7 there through 16? As each builds him up the body of Christ. As each does their part, you have a total raising of the whole into greater health and viability. And so 
we don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same functions. And we don't always have the same ministries. That's a good thing. You know, that's why Paul uses that in, in 1 Corinthians. Also, in, he uses that analogy of the, of the hands and of the feet and the eyes and the ear. Uh, different parts of the human body, but you need them all to function well. You can't just say, I'm just going to be, I just want all, all eyes. Nobody else need apply. <laughs> that's not going get, to get it done. We, all of the gifts are needed, but they're not the same. However, Paul wanted the members of the church to realize that one, that he wanted them to realize that one had been given a spiritual gift when members contribute according to their gifts, the church becomes a more fully functioning body. So that's what Paul is saying is everybody functions according to their gift. Now you say, wait a minute, Joe, how do I know? Okay, we're going to kind of get to that in, in a minute. So hold that. But when people function according to their giftedness, then there is a great blessing that is enjoyed by the whole body and more fully functioning body of Christ. No one gift or part is more important than another. That's another one of the stresses that Paul was making in that 1 Corinthians 12 passage. You see, the very nature and purpose of spiritual gifts demands member involvement. It absolutely requires that of us. Each gift provides for an essential ministry that the body of Christ needs in order to fulfill its purpose and its commission, the Great Commission, to be able to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. No one person, including pastors, has all the gift. I'd like to tell you, I've got every gift that there is, and they've all been given to me. <laughs> but I'm not going to lie to you like that. You know that. You know I've, I'm not, there's a number of things I'm not that good at. A lot of you are much better than I, and more gifted than I am. I have some gifts, and I'm trying to use them, just as hopefully you are. But a congregation needs more ministry than any small group can provide. Put another way, Church members, this is addressing to all of you that are members today. You need to see yourself as subjects of ministry more so than objects of ministry and recipients. You get what I'm saying? What I'm saying is you see yourself as the one doing the ministry for others. Not as, hey, this church is really not, not very nice. They're not being providing for all of my needs like I want. I, well, why, I don't, why don't they do this? I, I want this and I wish they... Instead of you, the recipient, instead of sitting back and carping and complaining about what's not the way you want it to be, the focus in this passage is our challenge our call to go out and use whatever God has given us spiritual gift and talent and sometimes just plain will to do to help seeing ourselves as subjects to do ministry rather than objects of ministry brothers and sisters listen 
the ministry of God has for the church can't be done by me. It can't be done by the elders. It can't be done by the deacons. It can't be done all by women in the church or women's ministries or anyone else. It cannot be done just by one group or even groups of groups. It can only be done effectively when all of the church or large portion of the church is engaging in ministry, doing its part. It takes them all along with all the saints of God to do their part. Now, let's get a little bit practical here before we get ready to come to the Lord's table in just a few moments. Where do we begin? You say, well, okay, Joe, you, 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 you're telling me that I need to have a ministry, but how do I know what my ministry is? How do I know where, where do I find? Where's the, where's the secret scroll that has that, that has my name on it? No, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. And you know what? Sometimes, again, I don't, want, I don't like to try to put down something formulaic. The point is, if you have a heart for ministry, you will look for opportunities. And you may find that in time, as you are open to that and you pray for that, that's the place to start. Where do you start? You start with prayer. Lord, show me what gift you have for me. It may only be one. It may be multiple, but show me, Lord. You, you said you gave the gifts for the body of Christ to minister to one another and to others. I don't know exactly what that looks like for me. Start with prayer. Pray that God will enable you to discover your gift or gifts and the ministry that he has for you. And you say, but, 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 but again, where's a, you know, where, do I get, where do I start? Well, you can approach me, you can approach Rick, you can approach some of the elders or deacons or other people or just people that you know and you see them ministering well to others and you see how well, just say, you know, how did you come about this? Tell me your story. How, how did you get to the place where you, you, you feel comfortable ministering in this way? Just start. You don't have to, have to know where the road is going to take you. Just pray and start and ask God Show him a willing heart. Say, Lord, I'm willing. I want to do ministry that you have for me. Show me what that looks like. And then be patient. Be wait. Wait for that. Secondly, as you wait, don't be afraid to try your hand at new things. It's very important. Don't be afraid to try your hand at new things. You just might discover a spirit-given capacity that you didn't know you had. It's been there. Lord's given it to you. It's just been lying dormant. And you didn't know that you were good at that. You didn't know that you could minister effectively in that way. Let me tell you a story about um, uh, one, of, uh, one of the Gadsden gang, um, the, sometimes known as the Gadsden Mafia that I'm a part of. Uh, a bunch of people in that uh, the, the Holy Spirit uh, worked powerfully in the, uh, in the uh, 19, early 1970s. And a lot of people were converted. Ended up, a lot of us ended up in the ministry. I was one of those people. Uh, but one of the one of my mentors above me, that was my discipler, was discipled by another guy, and he went on to plant a pretty uh, large church in in uh, Atlanta, uh, perimeter. And this guy's, of course, I'm referring to is Randy Pope. Some of you know that name. And um, and uh, Bill, 
Bill uh, attended that church for a while when he was in Atlanta. Uh, but Randy uh, has a lot of giftedness himself and a lot of a lot of things. But one of the things that Randy was really good at, and probably still is, uh, he is he's real good about when somebody comes along and says something about what's not working right in the church or what's not fixed or what doesn't exist. Randy very winsomely but very persuasively ends up saying, you know, John, it was a guy basically came up to him, let's just call him John, and, and started saying to uh, Randy about, you know, how that, how that the, uh, there, there weren't, the elders weren't doing enough and to visit people in the hospital, and he, and he was giving, and he was giving some uh, stuff, some people that needed to be visited, he thought, uh, to Randy. And Randy said, oh, you know, I'm really glad that you brought that to my attention. You know, and you know what? I, I'm really excited about this opportunity. But what do you say we go have a cup of coffee and let's talk about that uh, a little bit more. And in the process of doing that, what Randy ends up doing is challenging this guy to say, you know, I'm sorry that I haven't yet t- taken the opportunity to train you so that you know how to do hospital ministry. Because you're, have, you're supposed to be having, using your spiritual gift. And this is something, and obviously you have a passion about this. You're concerned about this, and that's a wonderful thing. So I'm going to help you. And, of course, the guy was like, oh, you don't know. No, no, no. Randy didn't let up. He just stayed on him like a, like a dog on a bone. Wouldn't let up. And do you know that that guy became the most effective pastoral? He wasn't, a, he wasn't an elder. He was just a layman. And, but he became one of the most effective uh, um, uh, ministers to people in hospital and in sickness situations because that became his own personal ministry. So sometimes it's just a matter of being willing to start and see where that goes. Thirdly, not only pray, And not only not be afraid to try something new. Third, don't be discouraged if you test your giftedness in a particular area of ministry. And it turns out, alas, to not really be your thing. It turns out to not really be where you really need to be on that. In other words you kind of end up being a square peg in a round hole. Has that ever happened to you in life? It's happened to me where, you know, I was good at this and good at this, but I can't do that very well. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that and recognizing, you know, I'm not sure I'm yet in the right spot. Well, don't, don't despair. Don't go get down on yourself. Don't get depressed. Just say, Lord, Maybe this isn't it. What, what is, what does fit me and the giftedness that you've given me? How can I find a place? And you know what? There have been sometimes, I've told this to people so many times. People think, well, you know, the idea that, okay, once I get in ministry, I'm going to be there for 45 years. Nobody's ever going to spell me. Nobody ever is going to, you know, that, that's not healthy. Because maybe you would you never all this time you did you had no joy in what you were doing you were doing it dutifully but there was no joy in it because maybe it wasn't your real gift it wasn't your greatest area of ministry so be willing be willing to recognize sometimes you know 
that went pretty well. But you know, the next, that other thing I was trying to do, I'm just not sure that's, 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 that I'm, I'm gifted for that. That's okay. That's okay. Look for something else. Take a step. Ask others. Reach out to people that you know and trust and ask them maybe if they have some thoughts about how you might find another area of ministry. Don't be afraid. So, what is your spiritual gift? And what ministry is God calling you to? We're all called to a ministry. The ministry is only, though, for saints. And that's all of us who are in Christ. You think about that. I'm in. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare now to come to your table that you provided to remind us of your great love and sacrifice for us and for your victory over the, over the grave, that you are, Lord, reigning and living and distilled even now, dispensing your gifts to your children, to your people. Father, I pray that you'll show us our giftedness and where we are called to serve you. Father, even if we don't know that, if it's not something we're sure of, or even if we need to make a transition or a change, Lord, just thank you. That's all, all in your, your hands. And Father, we just pray in your time, you'll show us how to be effective ministers to one another and to others. Um, and we, Lord, we thank you for the ministry of the saints and for the communion of the saints as we've gathered here tonight, at this ta- today at this table. Uh, Father, we ask for your presence and we ask you to now receive our continued worship of you in Jesus' name. Amen.